Welcome to Jersey Justice, a civil law podcast that shares practical tips and stories about personal and workplace injuries. Join two of the brightest New Jersey injury attorneys, Gerald Clark and Mark Morris of Clark Law Firm, as they take you behind the scenes of justice and civil law. But first, a quick disclaimer. The information shared on this podcast is for general information purposes only. Nothing on this site should be taken as legal advice for any individual case or situation. This information is not intended to create and does not constitute an attorney-client relationship. All right, everyone, welcome back to Jersey Justice. And today we're going to continue the conversation on expert witnesses, and we're going to dive in. We're going to start the conversation off with Jerry. And he's actually going to be sharing some information about a particular case. Thanks, Dimple. Yeah, we've been talking about experts. And I remember in, I think it was the last episode, I said I would give like kind of an example of a case and how it actually, you know, translates to selecting experts and how experts play into proving a case and everything. So I'm going to, I'm going to see if I could share my screen here. What I'd like to do is I kind of want to talk about a case that we had. It was a trial that we did in Middlesex County, New Jersey. Mark and I did it together. And just to give people an idea about how experts can impact a case, about selecting experts, and how they fall into everything. So the case was called Silva versus Jacobs Engineering, and there was some other defendants. And... Basically, the story of the case is that Silva was a worker who was resurfacing the turnpike. He was working on a turnpike resurfacing job in near Hackensack, New Jersey. And he had gotten backed up on by this truck, and the truck was driven by his boss on the job that day. And what happens is when you're working on the turnpike, the trucks have to go forward, and then they have to back up backwards. They can't do a U-turn because then they would be shining the light into the oncoming traffic. So he gets backed up on by the truck and we he came to us and we looked at the case and we consulted with experts and the experts say that the safety rules require the back the truck to have a backup alarm and also preferably a backup camera. And the rules also say that the company in charge of the job, you know, the contractor, the engineering firm that's hiring the people on the job, and that can set the rules for the job and is supposed to enforce the safety rules, is supposed to require this. And so the big defense in the case by the company that was running the job is that that truck did not need to have a backup alarm or backup camera on it. And it's funny in these cases, because when you have these defense experts that get up and testify and often say the most ridiculous things, they're never advocating for like a safer world. Everything is okay as it is. They're never advocating for more safety. They're basically always advocating for less safety. So for example, and this is a perfect example of it, this car did not need a backup alarm. That's what the case was about. And under OSHA, OSHA is the safety law for workers. OSHA requires backup alarms on work trucks if there's an obstructed view out the back. So the defense also hired this other expert. He's works almost exclusively for defendants and insurance companies. And he testified that there's no obstructed view at his deposition. And what's funny about this, like, so the obstructed view means the driver, his view looking out back is obstructed. And if it's obstructed, there should be a backup alarm on the truck. 
to warn people behind it. And also, as I said, preferably a backup camera. And remember I said these defense experts, because they're being paid by the insurance company, will often say the most ridiculous things. So this expert said there's no obstructed view, you know, and we circled all the obstructions. So if you're sitting in there as the driver, this is a wheel, you can't see out the back. Now, an obstructed view doesn't mean you can't see anything out the back. It just means your your view is blocked by by anything. And he testified nothing's blocking his view, despite there being a tire there. And despite there being work tools and these toolboxes on the side are clearly blocking the view. And you'll there's reports in the case where they said the reason he ran over the worker is because his view was obstructed. You know, and here's kind of the dash cam from the scene. And this is a report on the case by one of the companies on the job that said the immediate cause of what happened is equipment environment. And it said there was an operational light tower 50 yards facing north was making it difficult to see behind him. And there was light shining in the mirrors as he backed up, making it difficult to see behind. And it also said the vehicle contains toolboxes on either side, which may have added additional blind spots. And it also said the vehicle was not equipped with an audible reverse alarm, which may have given the worker an advance warning the vehicle was approaching. So despite all this, the defense expert says there's no obstruction and a backup alarm wasn't needed. And then at the in the opening statement for the lawyer. Why why would the defense experts say that? I mean, because I know our audience is wondering. And also for the audience, if you're listening to the audio right now, we will link this video so you can watch it on YouTube. Go ahead. Yeah. Why would they so, say that? Well, they would say that because they're hoping the jury believes it. And then the company that didn't manage safety on the job, and more importantly, its insurance company doesn't have to pay out the claim. <laughs> and and so this worker who's like severely injured doesn't get a recovery. And the worker wasn't doing anything wrong other than resurfacing the turnpike so we don't have potholes to drive over and supporting his family in the process. So that's why they would say that, we believe. And then in the opening statement for the lawyer, for the defendant running the job, they said, you're going to hear from this expert. And he's going to tell you that the view out the back of the window from where this photograph was taken was not obstructed. And that's what they said. That's what they said in their opening statement. So I want to give you a little backstory. What happens is in these cases is we'll often we'll take the deposition of the expert in the case. And I remember we were driving to the expert's office to take his deposition. And I said, the guy's like, do you want to get dropped off in the front or the back? I said, you know what? Pull in the back. So, so I don't know if it was intuition or what. I said, pull in the back. I just want to see this place. So I pull in the back. And, and I see in the parking lot, yeah, we pull in the back of the expert's office and I see this parked in the back. And he's like, oh, well, that looks a lot like the truck that we're talking about. And I noticed these two little holes here, right here on the truck. I don't know if you can see them. So we snapped this picture and then we went to the office of the expert and I emailed the picture to his secretary and said, hey, would you mind printing this out for me for the deposition? And she's like, Sure. So we printed out for the deposition and I asked the expert, what's this truck? He goes, oh, that's my truck. And I said, what do you use that for? Oh, we go to accident sites and we use it on the highways and stuff. And I said, does that have a backup alarm on it? And he's like, yes, it has a backup alarm. And I said, does it have a backup camera? 
And he says, yes, it has a backup camera. So, and then we ask him, well, why does it have a backup alarm and a backup camera on that truck? He goes, well, it's safer so you don't run over anyone. Like you can't make this stuff up. So in the opening statement for the defense lawyer in that case, as I said, he said that you're going to hear from this expert and the expert's going to tell you that there was that there was no obstructed view. So we go through this trial and the trial was like two weeks or so. It was like two and a half to three weeks. And they ended up not calling the expert a trial. So they told the jury, they said, you know, you're going to hear from this expert, but they actually never called the expert a trial. So as we're discussing this to the jury, we kind of put up this like, where's Waldo kind of thing? Like, where's the expert, you know? And why didn't they ever call him? Because the judge wouldn't let us show that he had the same truck. So we had to just like imply to the jury, like they, you were going to hear this and the guy was going to say this most ridiculous thing. So that's an example of like experts and how it all swings into it. And it's certainly a behind the scenes thing because the jury never knew that he, he was going to get up there and say the truck didn't need it. I think in his report, he even said that it would have made the truck more unsafe to have a backup alarm and a backup camera. But, you know, it's not like an isolated thing. Like we see this so much in cases. We especially see it in medical cases where these doctors will just say the most crazy, absurd thing. I mean, that's absurd. Like, how can they say that? I'm like sitting here as like a non-lawyer, <laughs> like that's absurd that they're saying that. And it's like, seems like... They're going to try to say whatever to see who's going to buy into it, right? And that's what they're doing. They're going to, they're trying to get some type of buy-in. So then in the same case, we can keep going. And so he was run over by the truck, okay? And they then hired damage experts. Real quick, Mark, I know where you're going. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. I just don't want to cut you off, but I just want to you know, we talked about marrying it to standards and, and things. I mean, the OSHA standard on that was it needs a backup alarm if there's any like obstructions to the rear. And in their def in their, I guess, clarifying comment of what constitutes obstructions, they say like, you know, the body of the truck and we circled, that's what those circles were. We circled the toolboxes, like the, the member, the toolboxes on the truck were an obstruction. The no next thing they gave or any tools or things sticking up in the back that might cause, you know, difficulty seeing out of the rear. We circled those. It said any job site lighting that may also cause, you know, difficulty seeing out the back. We circled that. And I think the defense guy, I'm trying to remember if you actually did this at the DEP or what, but I think his testimony was that unless the entire back of the truck was obstructed, it didn't need a backup camera. And he took a Sharpie and basically blacked out almost the entire thing except for one little sliver. And then he was like, oh, yeah, then it would need it. And it's a dimple. It doesn't end there. So then this is our guy after being run over by the truck in the hospital. I mean, it, it's crazy. And so then the insurance company. It's like he had a ton of stitches on his head. Wow. Go back to that photo for the audience one more time. Yeah. So, yeah, the injuries were bad. And, and it was largely, it was like, it was a lot of head injuries. These, all these photos and everything were shown before the jury and everything is all public information. But the insurance company and the defendant in the case actually hired experts that said he had no real permanent injuries and that he was faking his injuries. Like, like they hired experts like this to give these like bogus psychological tests to say that he was malingering and faking his head injury and that he had no real, I mean, and, and the sad thing is, so what this is about is 
you say, well, it must be easy to be a plaintiff's lawyer because they make such crazy arguments. It's not easy because to fight those arguments in the litigation, not even the trial, it costs tens of thousands of dollars to research them, to take their depositions, to have your expert respond to their crazy statements. It costs like a ton of money. And beyond that, you have to fight them in court because they'll make motions and they'll try to weigh you down in paper. The insurance companies do this like in almost every case I've seen. They delay. They don't follow the rules. They say crazy things. And you have to fight all this stuff. And then you go to trial and they will still say crazy things. And they'll make all kinds of legal maneuvering and jockeying and motions to for one simple thing, which is to get away from paying. And it's just crazy. But I guess if it was easy, anyone anyone could do it, you know? So that's a little vignette or a story of how experts fall into game. So then we have to get experts to say, no, that's crazy. And, and then we have to pay tens of thousands of dollars to have experts to come into court and say, oh, no, he is injured. And no, it is a legitimate brain injury. And, and yes, he fractured all the ribs and he was basically he crushed. And you have to go to a three week trial and you have to take up all the time of the judge and you have to take up all the time of the jurors and everything just because the insurance company doesn't want to pay the claim. So that's what it's about. So anyone that wants to be a lawyer or an expert, that's what you can look forward to. <laughs> yeah. For all the law students out there, you know, it is kind of an exciting world, but there's a lot involved and behind the scenes, you're getting to get a little bit of a glimpse at it. Mark, what are your thoughts on all this? Jerry said, it. I, I remember obviously that case vividly. And just to add on to that, not only then do you have to fight all these forces and they make you go out and spend tens of thousands of dollars, but then when you're making your case, the defense attorneys sometimes will act incredulous in and shocked at the things you're saying. I remember, I think it was the orthopedic doctor, someone who's trial testimony I, I took, we took his videotaped testimony and the defense cross-examined him and said, well, isn't it true that the injured worker smoked cigarettes? And isn't it also true that he was, you know, in his fifties and the natural aging process results in degeneration to the, to the body. And on redirect, I said, doctor, are the injured workers injuries from smoking cigarettes and the natural aging process, or are they from being run over by the truck? And the defense attorney was like, objection, that that's object, that's a mischaracter. And they were shocked. But what they're saying is that, oh, this guy's not hurt from getting backed over by a two ton vehicle, that his injuries are from all these other things. I've had cases where the client gets rear ended, she's got neck pain, and they try and blame it on a deer tick bite she had when she was a kid. Say, so, oh, one of the symptoms of Lyme's disease could be neck pain. It's, you know, it's they'll do absolutely anything, like Jerry said, to try and avoid paying a claim. See, it's it's funny because when I like when I was in college, I was like really conservative. And then I worked for Bob Dole in Washington as like an intern in college for a semester. And one of the reasons I went to law school is because I wanted to like end all these frivolous lawsuits is the funniest thing. And then and then I worked for a judge, Judge D'Amico in Monmouth County as a clerk, kind of helping him decide cases and motions. And I thought my mission was to like throw cases out of court because they were all frivolous. And the more I worked with the judge and he showed the law and he showed the facts, I kind of learned. And then I did defense work after that, working for insurance companies. 
because I wanted to like do good in the world, which was to get rid of all the frivolous lawsuits. But I, as I realized and went through it, I'm like, I don't see any frivolous lawsuits, whatever. But that was me. And that, that wasn't that unusual. I mean, that kind of thinking, like we find that basically when you go to court and you have a jury, a pool of jurors, you know, they give you like a hundred jurors. And from that, you got to pick about seven or eight to decide your case in that pool of a hundred jurors, a third are going to be like me, the way I thought when I was in law school, that all cases are frivolous and should be thrown out. A third are kind of like, don't really care either way. And a third are in your favor before they hear anything about the case. So I think Dimple, you asked, why would the experts say that? They say it because a third of the jurors will believe it like I probably would have back in college. So this is this is the stuff that you have to that you have to deal with. And they just want to give them something to hang their hat on to either decide for the defendant, you know, to decide for the defendant, and even if they decide for the plaintiff to award a little bit of money. So that's how it works. That's fascinating. And these are the things like the general public doesn't know all of this happens. And this is exactly what happens behind the scenes that they don't now they know, thanks to, you know, Jersey Justice podcast. But see, Dimple, trials are the funniest thing, because as I said, at least for us, if we don't think the case is good, we're not going to take the case to court. So like if this is if this is your case, like this piece of paper is the whole case and everything about it. Right. The juror is only going to hear about about that much you know just just this little part is what they're going to hear they're not going to see the whole big picture and we find the big picture is generally better for the plaintiff in our cases and the defense is always trying to no don't tell the jury that and oh you can't tell the jury that and we need to so the case the jury actually sees it's like this nice package sterile thing because you don't want to award too much money, you know, so we have to, and then the, the object, I was at a trial one time and I think the objections were like 200 to about four where the defense objected 200 times throughout the course of like a two week trial. And I objected like four times and we ended up winning that trial. And yeah, because they got a lot to hide, <laughs> you know, so that's the stuff that we have to deal with. Yeah, absolutely. Anything else you guys want to share today? No, I mean, I, I think we're good. If we're talking about experts. There's a lot of experts, <laughs> really useful. And it's a big fight on both sides. It's just how it is. Yeah, and I think that was, yeah, thanks, Mark. And I think that was a great example that Jerry, you know, you shared for our audience. So I guess we will see everyone on the next episode, unless you guys have any last thoughts. Good. Thanks, Dimple. Good. Thank you. And there you have it, folks, another episode of Jersey Justice Podcast. If you're loving what you're hearing, it's time to hit that subscribe button on Apple, YouTube, and Spotify podcasts. And don't forget to leave us a review online. Share this podcast with your friends and become their legal hero. Dive into more episodes at jerseyjusticepodcast.com or clarklawnj.com and check out our show notes for more information. If you're navigating legal issues and need a guiding light, we're just a phone call away. Call us at 1-877-841-8855. Again, 1-877-841-8855. Until next time, Jersey Justice Warriors, stay empowered and informed.